Welcome to the Vegas Gang Podcast for August 28, 2008. I'd like to welcome back my regular panel, uh, David McKee from the Las Vegas Advisor. Hey, David. Hello. Chuck Monster from VegasTripping.com. Hi, Chuck. Hello there. Hey, Chuck. Hit star two. Get loud Get loud enough on us. Star two. Yeah. There. Uh, much better. Dave Schwartz from UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. Good afternoon, Dave. Hey there. And Jeff Simpson from the Las Vegas Sun and In Business Las Vegas. Welcome, Jeff. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, happy football season starting up again. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, my name's Hunter Hilligus, and I run RateVegas.com. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to a couple things. I wanted to say a big thank you to everyone that made it out to the podcast of Palooza at the Palms on the 16th. It was a hell of a lot of fun for us, and hopefully uh, you all enjoyed it too. Um, you know, going into it, we didn't really know how many people were going to show up or how it was going to do. I was uh, very pleasantly surprised that uh, people did want to come, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, I want to say another thank you to our guest, George Maloof, and all of his crew at the Palms for hosting the event. They did a great job, and who knows? Maybe we'll do something like, again like that in the future. You never know. Something like it or something uh, similar. Uh, the other quick announcement is you have heard me uh, mention in the past that I've been working on some iPhone software related to Las Vegas. Well, it has finally been published, and it's available in the uh, iTunes App Store. It's a location-aware interactive city guide for Las Vegas that helps you navigate all the choices. And um, you can read more about it if you're interested at vegasmateforiphone.com or on my blog. And I hope you check it out. Okay, now we're going to get right into it. Um, we've got a couple of interesting stories today. First up, I think we're going to talk about a story that was reported, I thought, in, I think, a few places. I remember uh, seeing it in the Sun, and I think, Chuck, you included it. And it was a story about Harrah's removing some popular slot brands from their casinos. Um, some of these brands we're talking about, like Wheel of Fortune would be an example. And for, for those that, that aren't familiar with how this often works, there's basically a couple of different ways a casino can buy or attain slot machines. They can buy or lease them from the manufacturer, in which case they own them. Or they can do some sort of revenue sharing, and it's common for popular brands like Wheel of Fortune and Megabucks for the, the device manufacturer to do these sharing agreements where they split, uh, they split the take. And it's, it's no coincidence that some of the most popular games are, uh, are of this type, but you know, it seems like the reason that uh, – that Terrace is removing them is basically uh, financial. They, they would rather put in games so that they get 100% of of what goes in. Um, the, I think the funny the funny quote that I believe Chuck was on your was on your blog and probably was in the Sun article was like that were, was Harris implying that uh, they they were removing them because they weren't popular. Um, that is just total BS. <laughs> that is the biggest joke I've ever heard in my life. Um, you know. The Wheel of Fortune is consistently still one of those games that you oftentimes can't get a seat at in many strip casinos. I mean, it, it, this is just ridiculous. I'm curious. Um, Jeff, we'll start with you. Did you see the story? What did you think about it? Well, I did. Howard Stutz had a uh, column um, on the Sunday. Liz had a story that ran Monday. They were probably both written the same day. Um, and, you know, my, my thought about that was that Hera uh, you know, looks foolish 
trying to claim that those machines aren't popular. But it wasn't a surprise to me to know, you know, Gary Loveman has long sort of seethed about the uh, industry power that IGT wields, um, and they have a lot of the lot of the in-demand titles. Um, he has long felt that um, the other slot manufacturers need to get more market share so that IGT won't have as much, uh, you know, leverage um, with the casinos. And uh, so, and this is a separate issue, the revenue sharing. You know, slot machines are relatively inexpensive compared to the money they throw off. Um, if a machine, you know, makes a casino 150 bucks a day, which at the nice casinos on a strip would be average, it doesn't take, it, it takes, you know, less than 100 days for a casino to earn back the, you know, 13, 14, 15,000 bucks, or, you know, or maybe more for the really crazy games. But on average, it would take about 100 days to earn back what you get. So for the device manufacturers, when they come up with a title that's really, really popular, they want that revenue sharing, they want the share of that revenue stream because it's much more lucrative than selling a game that they know the casinos, A, must have to keep customers and B, will make a ton of money. So, you know, you have a, sort of an immovable object and an irresistible force. And in this case, you know, Harris, it seems like is, you know, is, uh, is really hurting themselves. Um, now, they only did it at one of the two neighboring properties. It's pretty easy to get from Bally's to to uh, Paris, so, but it's not it's not a surprise that they would do it um, because I think of Loveman's long-standing irritation, but I think it's a foolish business decision. I you know I I think back to every once in a while you'll hear about a an operator sort of testing testing a maneuver like this a maneuver that is clearly uh, the only benefit is to their bottom line. I think I remember a story a couple several years back now that about Mandalay Bay spending drink comps at bars for, for set-top VP players. This is sort of a test trial balloon to see how bad it would screw, how pissed off it would make the players to see if they could roll it out chain-wide. I mean, this stuff seems to happen, but is Harris hurting badly? Is this, a re, is this an indication of that, or is this just another one of those tests to see what will happen? The uh, This isn't the, the first time that somebody has, you know, that the, that um, they've tried to get the slot companies in a headlock and, and force them to uh, to change the way that the the uh, revenue is shared. I mean, they actually uh, a group of casino operators tried to enshrine this in law back in early 1999. They went to the legislature and tried to have revenue sharing games outlawed, which was was quickly. You know, I mean, the the constant the unconstitutionality of that soon became obvious. But it it does, you know, it it does say something of of the hubris of some of the people who occupy the executive suites that that they would even try such a thing. Yeah, and to claim that the reasoning is is just that the games aren't aren't attracting players. I mean, oh, that's like, such a load of crap. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Just like just like uh, we're saying, just like Jeff. I mean, that just makes them look silly. It doesn't. No one's going to believe that, especially not in a you know when you're being asked a question from a, a gaming reporter in the gaming capital of the world's newspaper. Uh, I mean, who do they think that they're fooling? 
Right, we, which is why there are there are newer and ever more elaborate iterations of Wheel of Fortune, and right. and its uh, sister games at every G2E because nobody likes them and nobody wants <laughs> to play hey, them. Exactly. They're bad for business. Wheel of Fun and Wheel of Fun Two and Super Wheel of Fun and Deluxe Wheel of Fun. All, yeah, absolutely. Well, it, you know this this story I just thought was funny um, to see yet again. Uh, you know these guys trying to claim, trying to claim that uh, one of these maneuvers was just for the obviously for the benefit of the player. Because that's Hunter, Hunter, I would say that we shouldn't we should we should say that they sound foolish for claiming that people have less demand. You know, want to play those machines less, and that there's no demand for them. That's what's foolish. I don't know if I can go so far as to say that the decision. Um, to take the machines off the floor um, in favor of non-revenue sharing devices. I mean, Harris is a is is a pretty mathematically sophisticated company, and they may they may you know be doing just what you suggested, looking to see how many customers they would lose by not offering participation games, revenue sharing games, and because you know. Players typically have a a fixed budget, and if all of their play will go into machines that Harris takes the entire amount, um, they may be willing to lose some percentage of customers. I mean, leaving the casino, going someplace else, takes a certain amount of effort. And you know, if they can buy new non-revenue sharing machines that are interesting and new and attractive to customers, you know, I, I don't. I know there are obviously some customers who demand to play sp- specific devices, but I think there's a whole lot of people who don't do that. Who sort of look around and think that looks fun. I'll try this. That you know, and so you know, I mean, I'm sure that I I, I suspect that what you suggested is correct. That they are checking to see how the numbers actually shake out and if it actually drives away more business than they can collect by not having to share the revenue. So, um, it, you know, it, I'm sure the proof will be in the pudding, and we'll see if they put those devices right. back on the floor. But if no, I you really think their customers are that indifferent to specific games, then why would they innovate something like Slot Finder? You know, it's it's the... I mean, if they if they felt it was important to to reach out to their players with something that says, "Look, you can find your you can find out which game you know which denominations of your favorite games are available at which of our Harris casinos, blah 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 blah," and then you know it, that just doesn't sound like the workings of a corporate mind that thinks that it just it doesn't matter. You can just give them any old plot. Well, I'm not saying that they don't think it doesn't matter. I think that they they probably feel like. You know the the upside of of you know letting people know where the devices are, but um, the upside of gaining of always winning a hundred percent of the money that's lost in the casino as opposed to having to share it more than offsets whatever people would be driven away and 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 it doesn't sound like those two things square and but I, I guess we'll figure out you know if it works or not. I agree. I agree with you. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Chuck. Yeah, I got uh, just a couple things I'd like to add to this. Uh, it should be noted that the largest, I believe, if I can remember correctly, the largest bank of Willy slots at Valley's was way in the back, up on that uh, two-step uh, ledge where all the uh, uh, carnival games were, all the way towards the corner, jammed up against the wall, way out of the way. 
Uh, there was also a couple handful uh, thrown thrown out onto the floor as well. Uh, so, you know, the fact that they're way out and they're kind of hidden, that they're going to get lost, who knows if people actually even saw them and how much of an impact it's going to have at Valley specifically. Uh, secondly, one of one of our uh, reader contributors who, uh, who folks who know our site know her as uh, Mrs. Jackpots is a big, huge plot player. And she uh, – is that me buzzing? Yeah, I don't know. I hear it, too. Just we'll, we'll fix right. it in well, post. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, she uh, she's a big slot player, and she has a host and whatnot at uh, – at, was originally at Bally's, and now it's at Paris. And she goes there regularly, regularly, regularly to play. She loves the wheelie slots and, and blazing sevens and whatnot. And the uh, when I told her about this, her first reaction was one of, of a degree of anger, and she felt a little bit of betrayal. You know, here I've been plunking money and playing these machines for a long time, and now they're going to remove them on me. They're one of some of my favorites. And she said, well, I guess I should start taking up those comps that I get at MGM and Mandalay Bay. No, it's a definitely interesting reaction. And just, just, to, just to be clear, I don't think there's anything wrong with Harris doing whatever they want to maximize the profit on their slot floor. But I also think that this is um, an experiment that will likely fail and that we will see these machines back on the slot floor in relatively short order. Because like Chuck's sort of alluding to, I have friends that – um, you know, come in and they they say, where's the Wheel of Fortune? And that that game in particular, and probably Megabucks along with it, are two games that I know people that don't even like slots will sit down and play because they think they're kind of fun or they think they might become a bajillionaire with a couple bucks. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's very interesting to see what will happen. I hope that we'll get some follow-up to see if to see what they do end up doing uh, if they do bring them back because it would be really interesting to, to follow up on the experiment and see if they end up back on the floor in the weeks and months to come. The next thing I want to talk about is uh, Atlantic City. And um, Dave was uh, was recently in Atlantic City, and, and this is a somewhat freeform topic in that I'm hoping you can, Dave, you can update us a little bit on uh, on you know sort of the, what any um, any interesting things that you saw or just anything that sticks out in your mind as, as worthy of. Uh, of of talking about in regards to Atlantic City at this point. Sure, there's a lot of really neat stuff that I saw, and I'm really glad I took a while to walk around the city. You know, one of the first things I noticed is that even though there's that supposed 75% smoking ban, a lot of the properties still really smell like smoke. I went into the Tropicana and was just about bowled over by the smoke. All right, so that's one thing. So I don't. It might be keeping some of the smokers away, but it's definitely not making the floor safe for people who don't want to reek of cigarette smoke. Uh, second thing that I noticed in the TROP was that they've been promoting this area called Havana Rooftop Slots. And the Tropicana has their main casino floor in the second level. They've got a small casino area called the something like the Amazing Cash Contraption that's just bizarre, this bizarre sort of Rube Goldberg-type device. Um, it's connected to slot machines, and I don't know how good it is, but it's usually crowded because it's right. That's on the first floor. Then the second floor, you've got the main casino. Then up on the third floor, you've got these Havana rooftop slots that I saw a lot of ads for and billboards for around the city. And I went up there, and they had a utilization rate of maybe five percent. It was just dead. Wow. And it was pretty funny. And I was because I was thinking, you know, maybe this is a good idea. 
maybe everybody who says the multi-level casinos are bad don't know what they're talking about, but then I realized, no, they they do know what they're talking about because this was just totally dead. And it, that just struck me as kind of funny. Um, another thing that I, that I st- stopped at, didn't see too much different in Caesars or Trump Plaza. They were both pretty busy, and this was a Saturday when I was walking around. They were both pretty busy, nothing that exciting. Um, the Trump Taj Mahal has done a lot, and they've really done a, a huge renovation, and it's taken them about two years. They've basically taken all of the tacky pink and purple stuff out of the building, and now it's very muted, um, earth tones, that sort of thing throughout, and it actually looks pretty good. And it, it, they've done a really good job of doing that, and they're about to open up the first 20 floors of what they call the Chairman Tower, which is their version of the hotel at Mandalay or the water club at Borgata, and that's around it's 780 room hotel, and it looks pretty cool, but they've still got the construction elevator running up the side. So I don't know how nice it'll be in those 20 floors that are going to open um, this Saturday. <laughs> I don't know if wow. I'm going to be staying there. Yeah, they still got that thing, you know, the elevator running up the yeah. side, and the um, exterior wasn't there. Wow. So I don't know. They must be desperate for to get to book some of that revenue. Yeah. For opening with the half finished. Yeah, especially because this is Labor Day and it's the end of the summer season, so they really wanted to get that bump there. So yeah, they're opening them up, opening it up in stages. Um, so I guess it's a very, very soft opening. I don't think I've ever seen anything open with the exterior construction elevator still working. Yeah. So that might be a first. I hear you can pitch a tent at the city center for six bucks. <laughs> That's a thought. A thought. Um, stop by the Pinnacle Atlantic City site, and that's just a big lot with nothing going on. So that was kind of underwhelming. Um, and the really neat thing, there's two really neat things I wanted to talk about. One of them was the Revel Atlantic City project that's really flown under the radar because they're not a Las Vegas-based company. They're a company headed by a guy, Kevin DeSantis, who used to run the Trump Plaza, and I believe they're backed by Morgan Stanley. And they're building right next to the showboat, which is one casino down from the Taj. So when they finish, you're going to have a four-casino cluster there with resorts, the Taj, showboat, and um, Revel. And they're really working overtime in this. It looked like they had 10 cranes out there, and they're building two hotel towers and the rest of the structure. And it's, I think it's really going to be an incredible uh, resort once it opens. I saw something in the paper today that said they're not sure if they're going to open up both hotel towers or just one. If they open up just one, it will be 1,800 rooms, which will still put them in the top five for rooms in the city. If they open up both of them, they'll have 3,600, which will make them far and away the biggest. So that was pretty neat. Uh, Another thing that really impressed me, probably more than I thought it would, is Harrah's. You know, I think everyone's just so used to thinking of Harrah's as a middle market casino that – People don't really appreciate what they've done with the Atlantic City Harrow's, which is really renovated into something nice. They've got this really neat pool area, which has a huge dome, like a geodesic dome, and this pool, which I realize that even if there's a line to get into the pool and even if they charge people who aren't hotel guests to get in the pool, if you look really perplexed as you're trying to get a signal on your cell phone and wander in, nobody will stop you. <laughs> and they'll just let you run of the place. So I got to do my own little tour there. Um, I also got trapped in the back of the house area of Harris, and because I was walking on their waterfront walk, which – 
you know, you'd think the Bayfront Walk, they'd really want to play that up. And have, if Steve Wynn was there, he'd have restaurants and stuff and attractions. And that's pretty much where their loading dock is. So you've got your loading dock and then the bay, and then there's this little walk and these signs saying you can't fish there, so just so you don't have any fun. And I was trying to get back into the building, and I ended up in the back of the house and just kind of wandered around and ended up having to take an elevator all the way up to the 45th floor of the new Bayfront Tower, uh, which looked really cool when I got out, and I had to take that back down to get out. So that was really weird. But it, it just seems like it's a real high-end property, and I'm kind of surprised that they would put that much money into a Harrah's because they don't seem to usually do that. I've heard some uh, some negative comments about the water club at Borgata. Have you had a chance to see any of the stuff that they've done over there? Yeah, I have, and I've heard some negative some negative comments too. I don't think they they've been able to quite handle the guest level of guest service that they want to. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't get to see anything there in this trip, but I have heard from some people that it's not quite uh, what they expected. Well, thanks for the info on especially on Revel, which is definitely a project that hasn't been totally on my radar screen. Yeah. Well, it's it's threatening their uh, the. Uh, Unite Here Union is is uh, threatening to derail it at the moment. Which I mean, that's again, that's something that that Dave could speak to more authoritatively. But that's also been in the papers the last couple of days. Yeah, the story there. Again, well, again, it's one of the things that makes makes Atlantic City great, which is when you've got a company that wants to invest two billion dollars and hire thousands of people, the local politics threatens to derail it. You know, this is basically one of the reasons why Atlantic City is still Atlantic City and not Las Vegas, because uh, you just got to have this kind of stuff going on. It's it's just politics with the union, and probably it's the same, much the same thing cooked Tropicana's goose a little while ago. Um, but it's ironic because Tropicana was sort of trying to cut their way to profitability, and it seems like Revel is trying to build their way to profitability. Yeah. Well, and it's not even – it's not really about Revel. They're trying to, to – the union is trying to, to – stro- they want the, the people who are going to be leasing and operating out of Revel to be union shops too and to make, you know, make Revel basically do their uh, – and I don't – don't mean this pejoratively, but do their dirty work for them, and so they're so they're making a big stink over this bond issue that uh, involves you know improving access to the place, and but it's all it's you know it, it's 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 basically a proxy fight over over the union uh, how much of the property is going to be union. The other thing I wanted to ask you about, Dave, is if you saw the story that was in the Star Ledger. Uh, over the weekend, where the president of Spectrum Gaming um, is issuing a very gloomy forecast for Atlantic City, and what the 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 analysis boils down to is that that um, some properties could be headed for bankruptcy or even closure, and the ones that they they point to are resorts, Tropicana and Hilton, probably because of a lack of refurbishment and probably because their their profit operating profit has fallen substantially. Mm-hmm. Hilton, I don't know if it would be closed, but that would probably be the bottom one on the list for me. Resorts, they've they have put a lot of money into it recently in, in the past couple of years, and that seemed to be pretty spiffy. I got to visit all three of those properties, and all three of them seem to be pretty crowded. Um, Tropicana, of course, is supposedly in the auction block, so we don't know what's going to happen with that. But I know they did call off a billion-dollar expansion of Hilton, 
So who knows where that leaves them. Hmm. How was visit, uh, how was uh, traffic and how busy did it seem while you were there? Um, the traffic didn't seem awful. Um, probably the busiest part of the city is this area called The Walk, where they have a lot of outlet stores that are outside, and it just so happens, you know, and I don't want to fault them because it's a really great attraction. It's it's just um, it's a lot of people shop there, but I don't know what made them put this pedestrian attraction right at the foot of the Atlantic City Expressway, which is the busiest corridor in the city. You know, it would be like if you built an open-air um, mall on both sides of the Strip at, you know, Tropicana and the Strip hmm. or something. So it's kind of – so that traffic there was kind of dodgy, but it seemed like the city was pretty crowded. And they had just had this air show, and there was also a Jimmy Buffett concert in town, so there was a lot of pirate heads around. So it was a pretty rocking week there. <laughs> Sounds like it. Yeah. It was good. Did you uh, happen to see any uh, coming parrot-headedness at uh, the Trump Marina? I didn't see that. I didn't get to get. A, I didn't get over there. Although I did take take some pictures from the uh, from the Harris Tower just to show how it towers over Trump. So I didn't see that, but there were a lot of people wearing Margaritaville type T-shirts. So I can see how that casino would be pretty uh, popular there. Well. It's certainly good to get uh, an Atlantic City update. Sometimes uh, it's a little bit quiet out there, even though there's obviously a lot going on. So I don't know. I have high hopes for some of these projects. I'm very interested to see what, what happens with the MGM project, and uh, it sounds like there's a couple of other projects that are worth keeping an eye on. So thanks very much for uh, for bringing us up to date. My pleasure. Um, the next thing I wanted to talk about is probably a brief one, but it's worth mentioning since we've followed its development through uh, as it's been going up, is, is Encore. Encore at Win Las Vegas supposedly opens in December. Um, I hear December 22nd. I don't know if that's true. Maybe. that maybe We'll see. We hope. We hope. I hope to be there on December 22nd. I'll put it that way. Um, up until now, uh, they had not released very many details of the interior other than descriptions of some of the stuff. I know I think Jeff had seen a room model at one point. We have some photos now that were that were given out of the standard suite, and I use suite in double quotes. Um, the room looks very nice. It's uh, it's sort of reminiscent to the uh, the villas that they have at Wynn Las Vegas, which are with uh, some lighter tones and and uh, you know typical wind flare. It looks like a very very nice room. Uh, this the the standard rooms they're calling suites, which there are the the uh, living and sleeping areas are divided by a wall that's got a, a cutout with a television that swivels, so it's sort of semi separated, as as I understand it. Um, Jeff, I'm curious, does. Did, have you seen these photos, and did they look like the whatever you'd been showing? Almost you? exactly the same. I mean, the cream and black um, is the uh, is the predominant color scheme um, that definitely I described the last time we talked about it on uh, the podcast. The uh, the uh, cutout with the uh, the flat screen TV that swivels either toward the bedroom or toward the living room segment. Um, you know, whether it's a full suite, um, you know, at the at the at the uh, the the rooms that are called suites at the hotel at Mandalay Bay actually have a full wall and a door that separates the bedroom and and uh, living room. If you use that standard, no, 
Um, but if you use the Venetian's somewhat specious standard, um, where you have it's just like a elevation change of maybe a foot or two um, and a railing um, separating a a little sitting area from a bedroom, certainly there is it's a suite. I'd say it's a little more toward the man, the the hotel at Mandalay Bay style, but not quite that far. Um, I think it's probably fair to call them suites and. Uh, they're big. Um, they're bigger than the, the 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 rooms would be at the hotel, and um, every bit as big or bigger than um, the uh, the suites at Palazzo. So, um, you know, I, Wynn expects them to pull in thirty, forty, fifty dollars a day more than he gets at Wynn Las Vegas, and uh, you know, we'll see if he's correct. Um, it, you know, it, it's, I, I I typically wouldn't bet against them. One thing that was sort of odd was the way that these photos came out. Uh, you know, they've been very, fairly guarded about interior design details for the resort, and that, that's pretty typical for them as a company. But these sort of showed up randomly uh, on some travel sites like Expedia and Travelocity. Just sort of showed up in the photo sections for these for these listings. Um, no, uh, no big uh, introduction like when they introduced some PR materials for Win Las Vegas. It's kind of odd. They sort of flew in under the radar, and I was uh, alerted um, by, a, by a reader that happened upon them. But it's kind of strange. I Personally, I think they look nice. And it is funny how they've redesigned, uh, redefined the term suite in Las Vegas with, um, I guess, starting with the Venetian and now uh, – and, and the Rio, to be fair. True. Okay. So we go back to the, to the Rio, and, and from then on – Sort of taking that concept and you know massaging the term a little bit uh, to see where it ends up. So uh, you know we're hoping December 22nd for Encore. We'll see how it goes. Definitely coming together. The last time I was out there looking at the site, it's uh, it uh, it started to look like something. And they've started to for those that are that are uber interested, they've started um, sort of redecorating the uh, the hallway that will lead from Win Las Vegas into Encore inside the building. This this space near the the theaters is being covered in butterflies and multicolored light fixtures and all sorts of things. So if you're a casino junkie, you can see some of those photos online on uh, the RateVegas.com website or um, I think they've been floating around a couple other places. So enough for Encore for now. Um, The next story I want to talk about is straight out of the heartland, Kansas. Um, and uh, I think, David, you've uh, you covered this extensively on on your blog. Um, the story, uh, and I'll let you elaborate, is is surrounding the awarding of licenses for to operate casinos in that area. So maybe I'll ask you to uh, to give us the brief outline of of what happened, and then we'll take it from there. Well, the state of Kansas is in the middle of awarding uh, four casino licenses uh, in four uh, disparate counties. Um, the um, and the first uh, the the first of the the first two of the four counties have been the awards have come down. These these casinos will be operated by. Um, well, they'll be. They will essentially be the property of the the state lottery, and uh, but they will be built and run uh, by private casino companies, which also will take home a large share of the proceeds. So it, you know, so everybody's happy in theory. Um, and the um, 
Some major companies have already pulled out of this as the economy got worse and worse. Uh, MGM Foxwoods oh, was a high-profile defection, same for Las Vegas Sands, um, which uh, – but there's still a few major players left in the game, uh, one of which is Harrah's. And when the first two of the, of the four uh, counties uh, were awarded – Last week, Harrow's came out with the big prize of the of the two, which was Sumner County, which is basically the Wichita area. Uh, Penn National got a consolation prize in the form of Cherokee County, which wasn't such a big deal because it uh, Penn was the only company that was bidding for that. It was also it was also bidding for the Sumner County license, but. Penn made a tactical error, which was they threw a temper tantrum a few weeks ago and said that, well, if we don't get the Sumner County license, well, maybe we won't build in Cherokee County after all, which they kind of sort of backed away from, but not really. And the the ironic thing which was that even though they were running unopposed in Cherokee County, of the seven commissioners who were voting on this, Two of them voted against Penn, um, which among their uh, – one of the reasons that they were getting cold feet about uh, Penn, that is about Cherokee County, was a tribal casino open just across the border. And so this uh, – Penn immediately started thinking in very pessimistic terms and talking about well maybe they weren't going to spend as much and they weren't going to they weren't going to to come out of the gate you know strong with you know with you know where you you know with a hard opening with a fully completed facility they were just going to kind of you know put dribs and drabs onto the market over a staggered period and just generally sent the message that they were not you know that the, that they were they were not that serious of uh, you know that that uh, Cherokee County wasn't a priority for them um they um and they're even though they're the third competitor in Sumner County and the third competitor for the Wichita market was Marvel Gaming which has no track record other than having some connection to Jack Binion Marvel actually got two votes to one for Penn and four for Harris. Uh and the um the other interesting thing was that uh Harris which was selected partly because the it uh, was offering the largest spread of amenities uh which the commissioners liked and because it had the highest revenue projections which they also liked uh, the commission's lawyers uh the uh, the, the lawyers for the uh, lottery Gaming Facility Review Board. I think I'm remembering that term correctly. It's a real, it's a real uh, tongue twister. Uh, felt compelled to issue a a letter and make it public, saying that they expected Harrah's to fulfill its its 560 million dollar commitment in full, um, which I thought rather unusual in my experience. Uh, I mean, some you know something must have given them the impression that Harrah's either had cold feet or might 
have reason to get cold feet about uh, about spending as much as they had uh, they had committed to. But at any rate, it's sort of like Harris got its you know its hand shaken and its uh, its posterior kicked at the exact same moment. Um, but the uh, uh, you know, but for now, Harris, you know, they've got a nice uh, uh, you know a nice potentially very lucrative market, um, and uh, the, as the remaining four are handed down, I mean, there's. Uh, uh, the Mohegan Sun is is one of the uh, remaining contenders that's still out there. The Kansas Speedway has been ramping up a lot of its proposed uh, offerings and the program at its track to uh, to make help make the pitch that they should get a one of the, the remaining licenses. So it's uh, it should have it all should have shaken out by the by about this time next month. It's interesting, you know. I posted a link to your story on my blog, and one one of my commenters, um, well, he's from Oklahoma City. His name's Jeff. He's actually a, a regular commenter, that and he had um, he was speculating that that they may see a nice flow from the Dallas Fort Worth area to these casinos. Um, I guess uh, in in his words, Texas is under casinoed, um, and that some of the offerings that are within driving distance, uh, I guess, are, are um, Indian gaming properties that can offer all the games that some people want. He was speculating that that they may see a nice influx from the Dallas Fort Worth area. Um, any uh, any thoughts on that? Does that seem reasonable? You mean up to Wichita as opposed yeah, to, to over to, to Shreveport? Yeah. Yeah, I read that, um, and you know, I mean, that may be true. Um, I, it's a lot. He was saying that um, people right now. Um, the chair, the casinos in Oklahoma, the tribal casinos, market their proximity, but because they are tribal, there's still some, uh, you know, something to be desired compared to a regular, uh, um, you know, normal, normal Las Vegas-style casino. Um, I, you know, it's an additional, it's an additional distance to get up to Wichita. So whether that would be, um, and I'm not really sure about the distance between. Dallas and Wichita, as opposed to Dallas and Shreveport. Um, but whatever, if if it's closer, um, you, it would be logical that they would get some business um, from North Ta- from um, you know the Dallas metro area. Yeah, and and if it isn't, I I strongly doubt it because it looks like the that Shreveport Bossier City market has absorbed about all the damage from Oklahoma that it's going to absorb. And 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 another point is that Shreveport Bossier City um in addition to um the Horseshoe um also ha- there's a couple casinos in that market and uh, gamblers often like the availability of variety. So one Harris Casino um, and 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 secondly, that's going to be a even though they'll have a an area monopoly. There's a big, huge tax rate there that will probably limit somewhat the amenities that'll be put into a property compared to what are already on the ground in Shreveport and Bossier City in Louisiana. So um, you know, it's it's tough to imagine that they would be able to compete um, with that northern Louis, northwest Louisiana city. But you know, I mean, he's on the ground in in the area, so, you know, he probably knows best. Well, he also had an intriguing theory about Harris leapfrogging into Oklahoma, but I, yeah, we're going to have to find a way to draw him out more on that because it was it, – it, 
he just sort of put it out there. And I was like, oh, what? Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, I, I know what Jeff listens to the show. So, Jeff, uh, Jeff, if you hear this, feel free to throw a comment on the uh, post that goes with this uh, podcast so we can we can get to the bottom of it. So, my other follow-up question was going to be about the uh, the tax structure in Kansas. Is it as oppressive as some of these other states? How bad is it? Does anybody know? I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay. I'll have to go back. It's, I, uh, for some reason, the number 22% suddenly popped into my brain pan, but I could easily be wrong. It's, uh, I mean, it's it's double-digit, what, whatever it is. All right. Well, it's, it'll be interesting to see uh, how, it, how it shakes out. Uh, the last story I wanted to talk about was something that came up, gosh, was it today, recently, um, the 4040 Club was is i guess still open still running is a sports uh well, i don't even know what you would call it a sports viewing it's a hi- bar it's, on steroids yeah it's a hybrid um sports bar upscale sports bar with food by day nightclub by night a uh and an upscale one with a sort of because it's owned by Jay-Z or was owned by Jay-Z, sort of a, you know, rap um, or, you know, urban type uh, theme or or at least, uh, you know, relationships. And, you know, very questionable pairing of concepts right off the bat with the sports bar slash nightclub. And then to put it in a very upscale casino property Another questionable pairing, um, and you know it's pretty expensive. I a few folks, uh, one of the guys that um, in business Las Vegas did a pretty extensive interview with Jay Z before it opened, and then we've also been out there, um, had folks out there, and uh, the place, you know, I mean during games it gets, you know, it gets a decent crowd, but um, I think you know opening weekend maybe the nightclub was crowded. I don't think it was you know, the most happening place. And even if it was um, busy, it may not have been the clientele that uh, Palazzo and Las Vegas Sands were were hoping for. So um, this is probably a way to extricate themselves from that relationship. Um, It may make for a very unique sports book, though, um, with more luxury accoutrement and, and, you know, a very, you know, a much more, um, upscale kind of environment for people to, you know, watch games. So, you know, what they do, you know, what they do with this space at night, if it just sits vacant, like most Las Vegas sports books do, that's another question. But if they, you know, if they use the space as it exists and make it into just a sports book with a lot, you know, with even more screens and betting stations and stuff like that, you know, maybe maybe that's uh, maybe that's a more sensible solution. It's separated from the casino floor. Um, never an advantage, um, you know, because it, it's not in the most accessible location. I mean, I, I when it opened, uh, I was surprised that they hadn't found worked out the gaming component. I'm surprised that they, you know, uh, there's the licensing issue, but 
uh, the fact that, it, that you can't place bets there seemed like a very wasted opportunity. Uh, and you're right. It's hard to find. If you're inside Palazzo, good luck. Um, you have to wind your way through the lobby. And if you're outside, you might find it. But it's it's not very inviting. You could almost bet that the licensing issue was the reason there was no gaming in there from the beginning. I mean, you know, the, for for the, the, the original ownership of the club to get licensed, uh, you know, good luck. Um, yeah, I mean that that very well may be true. I mean, um, but uh, it, I think it has a much better chance with with gaming. The in, an interesting adjunct to this story um, was, as it was reported, um, Steve Fries wrote an article on his blog, in basically bringing the uh, racial element into this conversation. Basically, um, saying playing up the issue of pairing and uh, whether or not the customer base are compatible. Uh, and then there was an interesting response piece by another um, local journalist, Richard Abowitz, who basically, he said he completely disagreed with Steve um, on that issue. I'm curious if you guys have thoughts on that. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting it's an interesting take. Um, is, is there anything to that, or is, is it uh, a concept that could have worked and there's nothing to it? I think I think Steve's pointing to the he's just pointing out the elephant in the middle of the room. Um, it certainly was the you know when I visited there I'd say it was a this was a pretty lily white crowd. Now that was a Sunday afternoon and they were pretty much all Lakers fans and and they cleared the heck out of there as soon as as the game was over, leaving the place fairly deserted. But. Um, I, I I did think it was an I mean it seemed like a, a a club concept that was better suited to Mandalay Bay or the Hard Rock than than uh, Palazzo. That's just me. Yeah, I mean I personally had had doubts about it when it opened. It just didn't seem like a good fit, as as I'm hearing from some others here. It just didn't seem like it was a very compatible combination. I think that um, you know there are there are plenty. Of big betting African Americans who regularly are throwing down uh, very big bets at um, MGM Grand, at Wynn, at Palazzo, at Bellagio, at Venetian, and uh, you know other casinos up and down the Strip. Um, the, and I don't know, and and certainly no one at at Palazzo or Sands has said anything to suggest that it was a clientele mix problem. I read Steve's story, and and I think that um, you know to me it's not so much the the clientele um, not necessarily mixing. I, I'd say it's more of a question of the type of a club, a sports bar you know, that morphs into a nightclub, it doesn't seem to be a, you know, to me the concept just seems a little um, sort of like trying to staple together two separate kind of things. Um, you know, the sports bar and the people who go to sports books in Las Vegas, you know, they they tend to be the more disheveled, the uh, cigar-chomping, um, even if they have a you know a, a thick wad of hundred dollar bills to bet, they are not you know your Armani wearing club goers, and so it you know whether those two concepts work together, I think that's the question, um, you know, and it, it certainly was a business decision for those two sides to pull out of the original arrangement, um, but I you know I, I doubt that it's as much as much racial as it is a conceptual 
misfiring off the bat. Well, I think uh, you've also you've also got to look at um, Adelson's history with the people who are his lessees or lessors. Or <laughs> uh, Good God, point. Even, even Tal, that's making more money than anybody, is in the middle of uh, you know a whole legal thing with him. So I don't know if anybody would make them happy. That's a good point. Uh, and, you know, Abowitz actually had a, had, a, had a line in his story basically saying, you know, Las Vegas, for better or worse, is quite the equalizer. You know, if you have money, they'll cater to anyone. They don't care what you look like, where you come from. Um, and that does really seem to be true. I used to think that, but but I'm I'm this is one of the things that's changing my mind. I mean, I you know, I mean, I've been to to Palazzo enough times that I can say with confidence that it is it draws an older barely sedate crowd um and it uh and not only that it, it was as if they were they were kind of uh, uh, the, the management there was, was trying to make the place fail. I mean, you practically had to be a psychic to find that 4040 <laughs> club. And uh, what I'm, what I'm really curious. But that's about, not racial. That's just no concept and logistical. Well, I think it's, I think it bespoke a certain ambivalence on on ownership's part about whether they wanted wanted that that club and that brand. Um, you know, is, is that uh, that Jay Z identification? Just how how close they wanted to be to Jay Z and how much they wanted to keep him at arm's length. I don't know. That's the message that that I got from them. Whether they meant to send that message or not. It's a whole other story, but there's a discrepancy in the the reportage of this. That I mean, so according to, from what I'm reading in the daily papers, they just plain bought the guy out for forty million, and they own the space and they're going to do what they want with it. Now, the way that Robin Leitch is spinning it on the the Las Vegas Weekly blog is that that no no Jay Z still has a half ownership in this and that he and Las Vegas Sands are going to go on together to expand the brand in you know hand in hand uh, around the globe and is are are both of those inaccurate are both ac- accurate in part what is the real story here. Well, I'm, I think you can almost be certain that he isn't going to maintain an ownership in any space that's going to have gaming. Um, so um, if he does maintain, you know, like the name or rights to the name and get some leasing revenue from the name um, and maybe uh, the ability to participate in future joint ventures with Las Vegas Sands if they take that club venue elsewhere – you know, maybe, um, but you know, I just don't see that it's a deal where um, Jay Z is participating in gaming revenue. I would be uh, stunned. Well, and Goldstein's statement, which which isn't even on the Sands website, corporate website, for some reason, makes no mention of of Jay Z or any sort of continuing role for him. It's just that, okay, this is what we're going to do. Right. And- That's right. They treat it like it's now a Sands asset, and they're going to reconfigure it as a way to be, you know, better um, a better attraction for the property and make more money. Well, I think I think Jeff, I agree with you. I think it has potential to be a very cool space. I get questions all the time about, you know, where's the best place to watch X Y Z game? I want to hang out with my friends. I want to, you know, want to have a couple beers or whatever. This is, these are incredibly common questions, especially on busy sporting weekends like Super Bowl or. NCAA tournament or whatever, 
um, you know, it could it could be a quite a powerful amenity if it was done right. And I think if it was done right, people would probably find it. Um, they could obviously do a couple things to make it easier to find. But I think it could be it could be quite a winner. As 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 a sports book, yes. Um, you look at you know we're in the Pacific time zone here, um, and we so games are always done. You know, nine, ten o'clock, unless there's a, a football game from Hawaii. So it's not a venue that, unless, and, and so that's probably why what they had originally thought well, let's maximize utilization of this space by having it be a club later. Um, the the problem with the the upscale sports book thing is to the all the money you invest in it um it really needs the way you make money in a sports book is selling a lot more you know tickets people buy you know people betting on more games so the question is whether whether that will attract the action that they need um you know casinos aren't necessarily looking for a place for you know people just to come down and plunk their butts in nice chairs and watch games they want people who are going to come and bet money on a succession of games or on a on a bunch of races and so you know it i think it's possible that it could be good but it'll but it's it's not on the casino floor um so it's you know it's going to be a challenge for them and and it would be cool if it if it does succeed because like you said hunter it's nice if people do have a nice place where they can sit down and check out a game when they're visiting in town yeah, this is a perfect metaphor uh the way this business has worked out for for the name of the place you know the 4040 club is somebody who hits 40 home runs and steals 40 bases. stolen bases. Right, a combination of power and uh, I guess what would you call it, agility. Uh, the sports being the power and the agility being, you know, nightclub dancing and stealing some bases, quote unquote. Uh, so, oh, and there's a reason why very few people are in that club. I don't know the exact numbers, and it proves that, you know, it's a nice try, bud, but uh, you, you didn't make it this time. <laughs> there weren't enough people in the club. <laughs> well, uh, I don't think anyone was that surprised to see the announcement when it came down. I think this was a long time coming. Um, but uh, you know, they'll reconfigure the space, and hopefully, for uh, for their sake, it will be it will be some an interesting contributor to uh, the rest of the amenities on the strip and on property. Uh, I think that's going to do it for today. Thanks, guys. Um, I'm going to go around the table so you guys can tell people where they can find you. Uh, Jeff Simpson, where can people find you? They can find me at the uh, Eastside Cannery opening tonight looking for either bacon-wrapped shrimp or sausage-stuffed mushrooms. Uh, the man knows what he wants. All right. Uh, Dave Schwartz, how about you? I'm going to be at divescast.com as always. Great. Chuck Monster, where can people track you down? Vegastripping.com. All right. And David McKee, how about you? For the record, the tax rate in Kansas is 22%. Uh, Double-checked. Double and I'm at uh, LasVegasAdvisor.com. Excellent. Thank you guys so much for being here. Uh, I'm at RateVegas.com. Have a great weekend. I'll talk to you soon. 